Well, we are, we are excited to, uh, to have everyone here this morning, and we continue to worship today. Um, we're going to uh, kind of jump right in into our next uh, six weeks here together. And um, we're, we're starting a new series today. Many of you who've been here for a while now, let's see if I can pull up the first. That's not what we want. Team Guatemala. One more, one more. Well, we're going to, um, uh, we've finished up the curriculum uh, we had on Be Contagious, and, and I hope that was meaningful to you. Um, and, you know, you, if you came on Sunday mornings, you got like, I would, half is even a stretch, I mean, because I think probably 80% of that really deep, hard work, uh, good work happens in small group settings. Uh, small group settings is something, I don't know if that's unique to churches, the idea of a small group gathering. Um, I think maybe in the corporate world it'd be like uh, teams, you know, you're put on a team at work or um, appointed to a committee maybe that's going to investigate something. But there's something that happens when you get together with fewer people and you really engage in a conversation. And we're passionate about that at Family Bible Church, um, beca- not because we just, you know, want, but because we want people, like numbers of people involved. That's not true. But we really want people to see people grow and be transformed and engage in the conversation and believe strongly that happens uh, more profoundly in a small group, intimate setting. Um, and one of the things that we do is we, we get together, hang out, um, and then get into the Word of God together. And it's just a real blessing to do that together, to build relationships. Uh, we do family groups here at Family Bible Church, um, not segregated by age. So even though this morning, like, the blast kids roll out, you know, and all that stuff, and then we stay in here, and later on we have youth group for high school, middle school kids, and we have grapple for those other kids. Uh, family group is something that we do for everybody, and our hope is that your whole family would come out. So everyone from, you know, I mean, the newborn baby to, you know, if you're a grandma and you're going to be in a family group or whatever, great grandma. I mean, I'm not trying to, there's just no division happening, because we think it's important that we would learn that way together, to grow together as um, the people of God, and just to be, you know, listening to each other, and I don't know, it's just a great thing, so I hope you're involved in a family group. So most of the work that happened in Be Contagious really was in family group settings. We talked about our, this week, by the way, for our group was phenomenal. Um, We talked about our stories, and it was just amazing, amazing time. I hope you guys had that experience. Uh, so we're going to talk about it more toward the end of the service as well, but know that we're starting a new curriculum in family groups right now, six weeks before we're wrapped up on this curriculum. And, um, and this is self-developed. We've, kind of, um, we've built it over the last several months ourselves, and we're excited to get into it. But it's going to be an opportunity for you if you've not been in a family group, and you're like, man, I missed it, I didn't sign up, or whatever. This is a chance that you can jump in and not have missed anything. You'll be like with everybody else. You know, new slate, jump in. And it's going to be a great, great time. Um, so as we continue worship today, we're going to jump into this new material. But I'm going to ask that you would do what we always do when we engage God in the conversation. We begin with prayer. It's just talking to God, nothing more than that. So join me in, in praying this morning. Uh, God, we've come here today to worship you. We've sang these songs for your glory and your purpose and your kingdom that you be lifted up, Father. You know that's a heart that we have, that, that, that we would come and just honor you because you have done so much for us. But because of who you are, more so because of who you are. And Father, we come today into this place seeking right relationship with you. That means, Father, we come today to know you as our God and us as those you've created and all the implications that that has for our lives. Pray that we would cast off every other authority or every other uh, you know, worldly thing that would oppress itself upon us as our, our leader or our, our primary um, 
motivator and we would put you in your rightful place as Lord and master of our life, that we could be obedient to you, that we could glorify you, and that we would have a life that's abundant, that's unbelievable. We thank you so much for the chance we've had to have that life through Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning that um, the promised Holy Spirit, that he said, if, if I stay with you, you won't receive the Spirit. But if I go, I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you every moment. And we pray this morning that your Spirit would be with us here this morning. We know he's here. We know he's guiding us. And we want to submit to him and his purpose for our life. So in this time, no matter what else happens in life, I pray we would put aside our own agendas, our own purposes, and we would just be willing to follow you, God, as you lead us in this journey. Give you praise and glory for that work, for all that you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so we're going to start this new uh, um, material, and it's kind of funny. Uh, this is one of those things where, you know, we talk about all the time about how God works, whatever, in your life. And I know for, for many of us who are following God, you get to that point when you're following where you're kind of in a panic mode, you know, because you feel like you know you're supposed to do something or you're kind of on the right path. But then you get to that place where it's like, you know, you feel like you've gotten to the edge of what's reasonable or whatever. And you kind of do this thing, like have you seen the cartoons where the guy runs out right off the cliff, you know, and it's like, takes a minute to forget, oh, there's no, nothing here, and then he falls, right? We get to that place in our spiritual journey where, where we're, like, we're like, I know I'm going this way, and then we get right to the edge, and we stop, and we're like, whoa, what's, what's coming next? And I want to tell you something this morning, and this is what I just want to kind of props to God here, because this is where we get with this thing where it's like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what's coming up here. And then God's like... Are you kidding me? And he just opens it up for us. And so, uh, so we're jumping into this new material. I've titled it Neighbor. Uh, Steve Hampsh wrote it with God's you know, um, provision, guidance. And I don't say I have to puff him up. I say that because I believe that God's working through him. And I want you to know how that's happening here. And, um, and so, uh, but as a culture... And this really wasn't the primary motivation of this series, but this is the one that I thought we would do in January originally, and God had other plans. But as a culture, I believe we have this, um, I see this pain and this hurt that's cyclical, that's inward, you know? Uh, I see people who are grasping for solutions to problems, and, and, and they can't understand why life doesn't make sense, why it's not working. And, and here's what I see happening, honestly. I, I feel like as a, as a culture and as a people, that means individually, you and I, and also as a, a group of people, we just continually turn more and more inward right now, more and more toward our own problems, more and more toward you know, our own plans or our own needs or whatever it is. And we, we kind of close in like this in this kind of, and you can just imagine that, that this becomes this kind of debilitating disease that we have of, of selfish, selfishness self-centeredness, obsession with us, with me, not even with us, I mean, with, with me. And I, we see this in all kind of ways in our culture. I don't know if you see it or not, you know, but I just feel like, and me too, I'm not saying like, I'm not preaching, I'm preaching as one who is like this, like, I'm like, God, don't, don't let that be about me anymore. Take all that away from me. Call me into your purpose. You know, Jesus said something to his followers. He said, if I've set you free, you're free indeed. I mean, freedom doesn't look like this. You know, it doesn't look like this kind of drawing in. And, um, and that's how I feel now. I'll tell you a couple ways I see this. 
how many of you have like, um, like digital cameras or almost everybody, right, has one? I have a phone that can take a picture. Who has a phone to take a picture? Almost all of us, right? I didn't realize how critical I was until mine quit working and then I was like really frustrated, you know? But how many of us have gotten really good, really good, I took a photography class in college. How many of us have gotten really good at doing this whole like uh, thing like that? I mean, I'm not talking accidental. I've seen some of your work. It's phenomenal. The framing is incredible. You don't even, it's like point and shoot, just shoot, you know, you just, you know. I remember one time I saw um, in a, on an ad <clears throat> this device someone was trying to sell, and it was literally, it was like a monopod, photographers would call it, but it was literally a stick, you could carry a little one foot thing, and, you'd, and you could put it on the end of your stick, and you could just carry. How many of you have seen a YouTube video? Huh? Yeah, everybody's seen them, right? How many have seen the YouTube channels where the guy spends his whole life like, like that? You know what I mean? And you can see people around them in their lives, and it's just like he's in his own world. She's in her own world. Isn't that funny? And, and as a culture, and I'm not picking on Facebook, I'm not picking on YouTube, I'm not picking on any of that stuff, but as a culture, this has become, and then what happens? We set, we watch our own videos. Oh, look at me. Look at me. And we just turn inward more and more. And the dysfunction festers and grows. And then we're sicker and sicker. And we have depression. And we have anxiety. And we have hopelessness and helplessness and lostness. And we turn ever inward. I love that. I didn't never realize in the word neighbor, the word bored is in there. Neighbor, you know. I'm bored. Life's boring. We have more choices than ever. And we are completely bored with life. Well, obviously, this is kind of where God has us examining our lives. Because I believe, and I hope that you're engaging in the word of God in your life. I mean, I really do. I hope you're doing a family group. I hope you have time of your own that you spend in the word of God. I hope that you overcome that thought in your head that says, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And you risk it anyway. And you read the word and see what it has to say. Listen to what God has to say through his word. Because I believe that he has solutions for these self-inflicted, self-centered problems that we're creating all the time. I believe God has a plan. If we would only hear it and listen to him. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of um, look at some things today that I believe is part of God's plan. This is going to be six weeks looking at this idea. And, and uh, it's all rooted in scripture. And, and I I'm, I'm just really hope that we can hear this because I believe that Jesus, what do we know about Jesus? You know, he was the son of God. He is the son of God. He died for our sins. Absolutely. But when he was here on his earthly ministry, he was constantly healing people. And I think that we have forgotten that he's the healer. And that means in things that we don't know that we're even afflicted with, that we don't even know we're sick from. I prayed earlier that the Holy Spirit would intervene this morning on our behalf, that he would guide us. And I'm convinced that that's what happens. The Holy Spirit reveals in our own lives. It's not about someone else's problems. It's about me. It's about what the problems that, that, that are inherent in me where I'm inwardly focused and I'm, 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 I'm just sick. I pray that today the Holy Spirit would point those things out to us. A couple of things that, this, uh, that Jesus, we hear him teach, and it's been hung up in my mind lately, is um, the first is that Jesus, a few weeks ago in the Be Contagious material, Jesus said something kind of crazy when he was talking to the Pharisees and they were outside of the big Matthew tax 
collector sinner prostitute party they were having right and they were outside hanging out and jesus said this to the self-righteous uh religious people today he said go and learn what this means i desire mercy not sacrifice and i've been stuck on that for a while now right and that's from an old testament prophet i desire mercy not sacrifice what does it look like to be merciful to someone else and what is what is a sacrifice thing and I just feel like that, that, that sacrifice, that inward thing, what I'm going to stop doing, what I'm going to give up, how I'm going to manifest some holiness or pureness. And Jesus says, go and learn what it means to be merciful to others. Because, you know, they were standing outside judging everyone. Another teaching that uh, is, again, from Jesus' lips is with the, uh, this guy named Saul. And Saul becomes Paul, and Paul writes most of the New Testament. But what's really wild is that Saul's riding on his horse, going in. He's going to, he may not riding on a horse, but he's going in, and he's going to uh, persecute some Christians. And on the road to Damascus, we know the story, God knocks him off his horse. But what's really wild about this encounter is this. Jesus says some words to Saul. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? How long will you kick against the goads? We read that a few weeks ago, too. Maybe in last week. Oh. Kick against the goads? Really? What does that mean? You know? Start trying to conjure up images. What's Paul doing in his life? He's on this mission, this path, this purpose, and, and God puts him on the ground and says, you're, first of all, you're persecuting me, and then secondly, why are you kicking against the goads? So I did a little dig, and it's just interesting because he's saying that, you know, you're being prodded by me. You're being, you're, you're being pushed by me. You're being compelled to change by me, and yet you're resisting the very change that God wants for your life. I'm listening, Lord. That's what Saul said. I hear you now. I believe in our own lives. We are just like Saul. Where, 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 where Jesus is, is saving us and the Holy Spirit is poking us and prodding us and compelling us to repent, to change, to stop it, to be the people that God's called us to be. And we're doing what Saul did. We're kicking against the goads. You know? the, the idea was that if you were driving a, an ox into the field and you were poking him to get him to make forward progress, he would kick against the person who's prodding him. You know what that is actually, in a, in a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that's us working against God in our own lives. You and I could be doing the very same thing. So, I'm hoping that through this series we can jump in and we can really examine and really get beyond ourselves. Get, get outside of the me box and think about what God is trying to do in the world and that the fact that he's willing to use us for his purpose. See, what's really funny about all of this is we kind of know this inherently, that we're not supposed to be selfish and self-centered and completely focused inward. I mean, I know it, you know it, and yet we can get stuck there. It strikes me that a very natural progression that we have is, and we have some babies here today. Babies are so cute, right? And, and you'll see what happens, because all of you were a baby once. Do you know that's true? Do you know that's true? Do you know that when you were born, I guarantee you, people gathered around that little clear box they put you in in the hospital and went, I want you to think about in our Facebook generation, right? I want you to think about in our YouTube generation. Look at you. 
you are precious. And I want you to know that's absolutely true. But you know what's funny? And Paul says, he says, when I was a child, I felt like a child. But when I became an adult, I put away childish things, right? There's this idea that some of us are still in that little like, no, look at me. <laughs> you know, and we're like, really? Come on, dude. You got some stuff to do. You can grow up. Those are little babies. Some of us never outgrow it. And we always, we always have that. Look, 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 look. And see, that becomes dysfunctional, becomes unhealthy. So I'm hoping that we can, we can kind of reset ourselves or, 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 or re rethink who we are, not because of what we're going to do by our own power, because what God is doing in our lives. We're going to walk through three things today very quickly that I believe that Jesus teaches us about who he's calling us to be and how he's calling us, how he's calling us to be different. But uh, I want you to get these two core ideas. And the first is this, that who we are is rooted in our relationship to the God who made us. Who you are is rooted in the relationship to God who made you. And this is for good or for bad. Your life will be defined by your relationship with God for good or for bad. You know, the Bible records both, don't you? The people who were obedient to God's call in their life and people who were disobedient, but God used them all. And so your life will be defined by who you are in relationship to God. So that's the first thing I hope that we see. It's not about what we think of ourselves. It's about who God says that we are and who God's calling us to be. And the second is our life is about how concerned we are for other people. Because that's what we have to offer, right, is ourselves to others. And so we're going to jump right. We're going to talk, first of all, about how Jesus did this. And the, the, this is the first thing um, that we're going to talk about. Our core verse here is Mark. Uh, Mark. Chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. I'm going to pull it up here. I'm not sure what page that's on. If, uh, if you use one of our Bibles, uh, you can grab it. It's on page 703. So go ahead and turn there. The Gospel of Mark is a great read. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to read it. Uh, it's a very short uh, gospel, and it is uh, life-changing truth about Jesus Christ. But I want you to read what Jesus himself said, because here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the very perfect model of who we're called to be. And this is what Jesus says about himself. So there's this little fluff up with his disciples, and we won't get into it, but I'm just going to pick up right there in verse 42 and just hear what Jesus, Jesus says. He says, he calls them all together, that's his followers, and he says this, you know... You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, that's, you know, everyone else, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to, ser to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this comes in the middle of a time when Jesus is teaching the disciples what it means to be Christian, what it means to be anointed by God, to be following after God and his purpose in our lives. And, and, and in the middle of this kind of argument about who's going to rule over who and who's going to be in charge of what, Jesus says, I want you to understand something, that the one who's going to be the greatest is the one that's going to serve everyone else, serving Others being slave to all is what he actually says. That's interesting because I don't think we think of that as a leadership model that we would serve others, that we would be self serving. 
As a matter of fact, I'll remind you that Jesus himself, when he was tempted by Satan, after being in the desert, came out. And everything, everything that Satan tempted Jesus with was being self-centered, self-focused. Go on and do it, Jesus. It'll prove it. It'll prove how much God loves you. Go on and do it. You know you're the son of God. Go on and do it. The Bible says it'll be true. It'll be true. Every temptation at the root of it has this opportunity for Jesus to be self-focused, and yet he doesn't. He doesn't take it. And if you look at his ministry, and there's just way too many examples, he always is turning towards the others. He's always turning outward toward others and God's purposes for his life, the plan that God has for him. And so here, I want you to see how that ends up because he teaches them that whoever's the least will be the greatest and or, I mean, whoever's going to, you know, the first is going to be the one who serves everyone and, and we can turn that into its own model, like look how humble or lowly I am and all that garbage. But what, this is what he says because this becomes the pinnacle of, of um, the, the model that we have for, uh, for serving others and it's Jesus himself because he says, because the Son of Man did not come to be served. Now that's an amazing thing because I want to remind you that Jesus was born in a manger, and I want to remind you that wise men came from afar to worship him. And I want to remind you that stars aligned in the heavens. I mean, if there was ever a moment where the world turned and went, aww, it was when Jesus was born. And yet Jesus himself says, the son of man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve others. He says something else. As a matter of fact, he's come to give his life as a ransom for many. And we know how that played out on the cross, that Jesus died so that we could have life. He came to give life to the lifeless. And so in this way, we have this model of Jesus. He's saying, if you want to, if you want to know what it looks like, if you want to see what it looks like, then do what I do. And even I don't come to be served. I mean, if anyone deserves for the world to revolve around them as Jesus. And he says, I come to give my life as a ransom for many. And so uh, I think that we get that wrong so often. And uh, we, don't, we don't think about that. I hope that can resonate with us. Jesus also taught these words. He said, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. You see? And I, I wonder, I have a question. I'm going to ask this question to myself. And this is going to be kind of our key this week is, how often do I do that? I mean, how often do I do that? How often, and I'm not talking about a way that I'm going to become righteous by my, by my attempts to love others or whatever. But I mean, for real, like in my life, if I took my life and I said, how often in my life am I really serving someone else? How often in my life am I, am I laying down my life for someone else? The most profound way I think in our culture right now that we lay down our lives for each other is time. Because everything's time for us. And you're on your way somewhere and you see somebody who has a need. You see somebody who's hurting. You, you, you ask a question and it's the wrong question because you don't really want the answer. You say, how are you doing? And you realize that, oh gosh, they're going to tell me how they're doing. That's an opportunity for you to lay down your life at that moment. To just stop and go, not my agenda, but your agenda. To love them. And, and, and we can do this with family. We can do this with friends. We can do this with uh, strangers. 
We can do this with coworkers. We can just lay it down. I had a plan, but God had another plan. And we can be obedient to that. And I know some of you are thinking, man, if I live my life that way, I wouldn't get nothing accomplished. <laughs> I got things to do. I understand that. But you know, God has some things he's trying to do. Do you believe that's true? I believe God has some things he's trying to do. And, and if, if we can just stop and be like, God, I'm listening. He will do them through us. So we have this model from Jesus who came to serve and not be served. And if Jesus himself thought, it's not about me, you and I had better think, it's not about us. The second kind of principle is we're just jumping into this, and it's going to become more tangible. We're going to, you know, these six weeks, but, but the second thing that I want to talk about this morning is that in order to do this, we must become less. To be selfless, we must become less ourselves. And um, I want to uh, share with you from, um, from the Gospel of John. And this is interesting because uh, um, this is at the very kind of uh, near the beginning of the Gospel of John. John 3, 25 through 31. And you've probably heard this before. I mean, the, most of these are scriptures that we've all heard. We're like, yeah, I got it. But see, I don't see us manifesting this reality in our life uh, very well. Um, and I'll point out something here. This is another argument, right? But this is what it says. An argument developed between some of John's disciples, these are people that John was trained to be obedient to God's call in their life, and a certain Jew over the manner of ceremonial washing that was happening. So they came to John, the disciples did. These are John's disciples. And they said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one whom you testified about, this would be Jesus, well, he is now baptizing and everyone is now going to him. And this is John's response. A man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of the Christ. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. And then he says these profound words. He must become greater, and I must become less. You see, John was the guy that was ahead. Remember, Jesus said first? He was the guy that was out ahead of the path. Make straight the way of the Lord. The kingdom of God is coming. The Messiah is coming. He was the guy that got the message first and was communicating it. But his testimony to the people who are following him is, but to continue to follow God, I shrink, and he grows. I become less, and he becomes more. Now, that doesn't, I don't know how that sets with you and your plans for your life, but that's a pretty hard thing to deal with, isn't it? What do you mean I become less? I would even say that as we serve one another, we become less than the person that we're serving. They were continually doing this, realizing that it's God working through us. And that's the amazing thing, because if you haven't heard stories, I, I think you're not listening. There are people who have done this in their lives. There are people who have taken God at his word, read the word, what it said, and been obedient to it. And they're like, wow, life abundantly. Wow. The less 
important I am, the more glorifying God is and the more fulfilled I am. So we must become less. I want to show you another verse. This is from Paul. Remember Paul? He's the guy saw that God knocked off his horse. This is back in Romans, a couple of chapters back. I want you to see what Paul writes. Romans 12, by the way, one of my favorite verses of Scripture. I'm going to start in verse 1 because I couldn't start anywhere else. I'm going to start right there at 12.1. This is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, therefore, I now urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. I want you to hear the connection of the words this morning. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So here he's saying, just give your lives up to the God who made you. And this is what he says, verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. That's amazing, right? He goes on. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same purpose, so in Christ we, are, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And this is what he is saying. He's saying that as you are transformed by the reality of Jesus in your life, as you're being transformed, as we are being transformed by that, um, do not think of yourselves as too important. But think of yourselves rightly. He actually says, what does he say? View, I want to pick it up again. So in Christ, we're one body. Each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that interesting? So here Paul is kind of saying, it's, it's, it's us together, and God is using us, just like your body is working as one, you know, a thing. I mean, you know what's funny about our physical bodies is when was the last time you had to think to breathe, right? When was the last time you had to think to eat? You had to think of where you're going to eat. But yeah, I mean, when was the last time, you, if you even want to do the simplest thing, we played ball yesterday all day. The coordination it takes to play softball is unbelievable. And, and the miracle of our bodies can just do that. Because each part's doing its thing like that. And I, I believe that, that when God calls us to, uh, to be serving others, we're just called to do that thing that he's calling us to do, like that thing, that response. And in that way, we do the work of God, which is completely bewildering to me, by the way. It's amazing to me that God uses us at all. So don't think too highly of yourselves like the world revolves around you, but think rightly. I'm part of a big picture. I'm part of, I'm part of a big, you know, body of Christ, and God is using us. And, and, and obedience, he's using us. You know what's funny, actually? If, if we have part of our bodies that we quit using, what happens to it? It just atrophies, doesn't it? Atrophy means it dies. You know, you, you, you stop going out and taking walks. You know, parts of your body dies. You stop engaging in reading, part, part of your mind goes. You, 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 stop, you stop praying 
to God who made you, and that relationship starts to go. You know what I'm saying? And we aren't manifesting this, but I, I want you to understand that there is an engagement, an active process that God is doing in our lives. And the more we exercise it, the stronger it becomes and the more purpose-filled it is. And the less we use it, the less purpose-filled it is in our, in our lives. And so uh, I hope that we can do that, that we can understand rightly who we are and what we're called to do. So we become less. What does that really look like, you know? It's like we become less the center of the universe. Man, is it still a problem? It's still a problem, right? It's still a problem. None of us have got it figured out yet. But we become less the center. Um, we show up with an agenda. Of course we have an agenda. We have some things to do. But it becomes less of an agenda. We show up in a conversation. We have less of a need to be heard. Those are hard things for me. I'm not sure where you're at. But I hope that we can truly become less, that he can become more, and that we can find our place and do the thing that God's calling us to do. The third thing I want to share with you this morning, and this is where we're going to wrap up here, is that God calls those who are willing. And I know this is, this is an interesting uh, concept, but I want to read um, from the Gospel of Luke. Because uh, I want you to see something. This is something we're going to talk about with Jesus a lot. I think we've, in America especially, we've kind of have this safe Jesus thing going on where, you know, Jesus isn't going to ask a lot of you. He isn't going to do anything crazy in your life. I want you to see um, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 57, we're going to read through 10, too. But, but this is uh, a segment of Scripture where we, we, see, we remember the story of Matthew getting called out, you know. And Jesus says these two words, and he says them to you and I as well. He says, follow me. That's a simple invitation. Follow me. You want to be different? Follow me. You want to be transformed? Follow me. You want to know God's purpose for your life? Follow me. Two words that change everything. And, and we hear the story of Matthew, the tax collector, gets up and goes, I'll follow you. And we hear the story of the brothers of thunder who are in the fishing boats and say, I'll follow you. But I want you to see here, as Jesus continually walks and invites people to follow him, what happens. It says this in 57, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you And Jesus replies, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place for his head. He means, you say you're going to follow me wherever I go, but I have, I'm, I'm, I have nowhere to go. I'm on the road. I'm, I'm traveling. You're going to be with me if you go with me. And then he said to another man, and I love how it just drops off there, right? That's it. Jesus says, where are you going to follow me to? I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. I'm not sure that's true. 59. Jesus said to another man, two words, follow me. The man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I want you to see what happens. Leaves it right there. What? Jesus says, follow me? This guy makes a reasonable request. I just got to wrap up a few things. No. You let them worry about the few things. I'm calling you to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's it. Follow me. Still another, the word says, said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. <laughs> Jesus, please. Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What? I mean, is it unreasonable that Jesus says, don't even go back and say goodbye to your family when he calls you? 
I hope that that tweaks something in you. I hope that you think that's unreasonable because there's a reality that Jesus, when he calls people, calls people unconditionally. He says, you're going to follow me and follow me. If you're going to follow me, follow me. And I think we have this kind of safe Jesus thing of like, yeah, Jesus, you know, he, he was just like that. And, and if you look in scripture, and I think we, we put on the pedestal those guys who said, no problem, and walk away. But the guys who say, really? We go, man. Look at verse 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. And he told those he sent the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Isn't that striking to you? So we have these three stories about these guys who are like, come on, yeah, I'll follow you in a minute. I'll follow you in a, in, a, in a day. I'll follow you whenever my life gets in shape. I'll follow you whenever I have the right answers. I'll follow you when I've read the Bible enough. I'll follow you whenever, whatever your excuse of why you can't follow Jesus is. And he says, no, right now. Follow me right now. And then he sends 72 people out to go ahead of him to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he tells them as he sends them, there's a lot of work to do and there ain't enough people to do it. See, now, here's the thing. There's this great, and we're not going to turn there, but there's this great, you can look it up, Old Testament story about God showing up in his holy temple. We talked about it a few weeks ago, Isaiah 6. And the pillars shake, and the place comes down, and it's Saul on the ground, and he's cut to the core. It's not Saul. That's a New Testament thing I'm throwing in there, right? It's, 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 um, it's Isaiah, and, but he sees this vision of God. And what Isaiah proclaims to the living God of the universe, says, he says, God, help me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I have no purity before you. He's about to melt into a pool. And God asks this question. He says, who should I send? And you know what this Isaiah guy does? He says, send me. Those are life-changing words. God sends, God calls those who are willing to go. Willing to go. Now, I, I had some folks, you know, saying, really? You know, you're going to probably go, really? God called, you know, he only uses those who are willing. I know there's stories in the Bible. Listen, you can kick against God's purpose. You can resist, he told Paul. Why are you kicking against the goats? But the reality is that he wants you to say, I'll go. I'll go. Send me. i tell you what the difference is going to be in the lives of those who are here this morning. Some of you are going to go, I'll go. I'll go. And you're going to respond to Jesus in your life, and your life is going to be transformed. And you're going to have people going, wow, what's going on with you? I don't understand. You're going to go, I just kept saying, I'll go. I'll go. Because God can do it. I'll show up. And then some of you are going to be stuck, closed in, trying to tinker with your innards. Fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to, I'm going to get healthy. And you're going to get sicker and sicker and sicker. And the healer's there the whole time. I hope that you're willing to hear the challenge when he says, who will I send?
I hope that you and I can begin to turn outward and just go serve. Go be obedient. So, that's where we're at today. This is going to be a six-week series. I hope you come for every week of the six weeks because it's going to build. It's got a purpose. God's got a plan. And it's going to develop over six weeks. I hope you'll come and and you'll, you'll join us for that. I hope even more that you'll consider joining a family group. We're going to study the same material. Not these same scriptures, right? But the same ideas from scripture over the next six weeks. If you can give, what is it, like an hour and a half, one night a week, two hours, one night a week to set with a group of people and open the word of God, you will have your life be transformed. I would challenge you to do that. Think about getting in a family group. So that's the first thing I would say this week. The second thing is this. Let's spend the week kind of looking at our lives, standing back, and just taking a look. An honest-to-God look at who we are and, who we, and what we do. And I'm not talking about asking your spouse, you tell me what I do in my life and tell me what you think of me. I want you and I to attempt to ask God to enlighten us, to allow us to see our lives from his perspective and see what it's really about. Are we focused inward? Are we focused outward? Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving others? Have we come to be served? Have we come to serve? I want us to ask that question this week. And then we can talk about those things and next week we'll take this next step together. I hope you've been challenged this morning with this. I know I have. Please join me in praying. Father God, uh, we give you praise and glory. And and even as we, we sense in us this flawed brokenness, this, 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 this tendency to turn inward and, and try to heal ourselves. Father, I pray that today your spirit dwelling in us turns us out toward you, that we could respond to our creator, that we could be whole and healed. I pray, Father God, that you would do your work in our lives. I thank you so much for Jesus on the cross, who even though we have not yet attained it, is healing us and making us Beautiful, perfect, glorious for you. And I pray, Father God, today that in every way possible we surrender to you. I pray that today if we heard that challenge that we would say, I'll go. Don't know where we're going, I'll go. Don't know what we're doing, but I'll go. I pray that we can respond that way to you today, Father. And as we now uh, just give you glory and praise the work you're doing, I pray you would care for our souls in this time. Love us like no other. May we glorify you in everything we do. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.